Superman, Wonder Woman, Batman and Robin, Aquaman, Black Vulcan, Samurai, Apache Chief, El Dorado. Together they form the world's greatest force, dedicated to truth, peace and justice for all mankind. These are the, the Superman of Screen. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 136 of the Man of Screen podcast. I am your host, Mike Zumo, and this episode I'm going to be moving right ahead into the end of the first half of my coverage of season 7 of Super Friends. These are the 1983 shorts, dubbed The Lost Season, as they were not aired in the U.S. when they were originally released in 1983. And like I mentioned last week, uh, from what I'm finding in the first half of this season... Even though these stories are only seven minutes a pop, much better content this year than the previous two seasons, making it you know pretty much a shame that these episodes did not air in the U.S. As the, this season is definitely elevating this form of storytelling in the Super Friends show, and it's kind of funny that they mastered this short form storytelling in the last season in which they're going to produce in this format. The format will slightly change going forward into season eight, and then. I'm not sure what the format is in season nine, but it's definitely not seven minute shorts. So before I get into this week's coverage, I have feedback to address. This is from Dave McElvenny. Dave is writing in on Mana Screen episode 125. Dave writes, Greetings, Mike. These short segments really do make for less commentary. I really have very little to add to your discussion. I agree that it was good to see the Flash again in the makeup monster. And I agree that Superman is extremely underused overall in these shorts. In fact, in Journey into Blackness, I literally laughed to hear Superman calling on Batman and Samurai to save the Earth from the black hole because there was nothing he could do. Really? Powerless Batman and Z-lister Samurai are going to tackle a menace that the most powerful superhero in the DC Universe can't handle? Sheesh. We'll see if the stories improve as the 1980 series continues. Live long and prosper. Dave. Well, let's tackle that last line uh, right off the bat. We do know for a fact at this point. The stories did not improve as the 1980 season continued. They just kind of remained lackluster, and that continued beyond 1980 and into 1981. And I recall having the same problem in Journey into Blackness that Dave did, is that if Superman can't handle a black hole, what's Batman going to do? And Dave is extremely generous about putting a Samurai on the on the quote-unquote Z-list. I don't even know that Samurai is even on a list, so... Really nothing to add to this letter. The stories do not get better as 1980 goes on, nor did they really get better in 1981 as we saw in the uh, episodes leading up to Superman 3. So there's nothing further to say about that. So let's head into some better episode coverage. I'm going to take a quick break, play a podcast promo, and then I'm going to come back with week three of the 1983 lost season of Super Friends. Hang around, folks. What? Have you ever read uh, a Superman comic? Not in the last few hours. Oh, I was just checking, right? Just checking. Hey, everyone. My name is Michael Bailey, and I have been a fan of Superman for as long as I can remember. In 1987, I started collecting the Superman comics as a going concern, which led me down a long and winding comic book-filled path to 2007 when I first started podcasting. Well, it's 2017, and because it's been 10 years since I started podcasting, and 30 years since I started reading Superman full-time, I thought it might be fun to start a new show called It All Comes Back to Superman. It All Comes Back to Superman will be my monthly reaffirmation of my Kryptonian faith, where I will pick out 
something about the Man of Steel and discuss it. Sometimes I'll be alone. Sometimes I'll have a guest. No matter how many people get involved, Superman will be the focus. It all comes back to Superman as part of the Fortress of Bailey Tube podcasting network. New episodes will drop on the 28th of every month. This show and all of the other programs that are part of the Fortress of Bailey Tude podcasting network can be found at www.fortressofbaileytude.com. All right, welcome back, folks. All of the episodes in this segment had an original broadcast date of September 24th, 1983, and we're going to start with The Krypton Syndrome. And all of our synopses are brought to you by supermanhomepage.com, your number one source for Superman information on the web. While helping save an alien spaceship from being drawn into a black hole, Superman is drawn with the Supermobile. He goes back through time to Krypton. My calculations are correct. It is you, the council, that has made the foolish mistake. The planet Krypton will be enveloped by our sun within a few hours, exploding a short time later. I beg you to order immediate evacuation. <laughs> Surely you can't be serious, Jor-El. What makes you think you're smarter than the rest of the council? Krypton will be here long after we're all gone. I'm afraid not, gentlemen. The planet Krypton will explode, and in less time than even Jor-El predicts. Who are you? What right do you have to interrupt a meeting of the High Council? I am from another time and place, but who I am is not important. What is important is that you believe what Jor-El tells you. No! We will not endanger the citizens of Krypton because of some foolish fantasies. Thank you for trying. I must admit I am confused. We have never met before, yet you know my name. And for some reason, I feel I know you. All I can tell you is that I am a friend. Superman decides to save Krypton by stopping the sun from expanding. He then goes through the black hole and back to Earth. On Earth, he finds a new timeline. The Legion of Doom has defeated the Super Friends since Superman no longer existed. Please, don't hurt me. I'll come peacefully. Robin, it's me, Superman. Do I know you? What's wrong? What happened to this place? It was wiped out by the Legion of Doom. They've enslaved the Earth and destroyed all of the Super Friends except me. But that's impossible. Everyone was fine when I left you yesterday. What are you talking about? I've never seen you before. You're not a Super Friend. What? Well, of course I... Oh, no. Now I understand. When I saved Krypton, my father Jor-El never sent me to Earth. To the people of this world, there never was a Superman. Don't worry, Robin. The Super Friends will survive. Superman must return to the past and let Krypton be destroyed. It's good to see your face, Superman. For a moment there, I didn't think you were going to make it out of the black hole. Thanks for waiting for me. What are you talking about, Superman? You've only been gone a few seconds. It may have only been a few seconds to you, but it was a lifetime for me. Wow. I remember when I watched this one thinking, this is a really heavy time travel concept for a kid's show. Imagine the choice Superman has to make here, whether to save his parents or save his entire species or not. I mean, I'm sure we've all, and I can't speak for everybody, obviously, but 
I know I do have a couple of moments in life where, you know, I'd say, you know, I kind of wish I could go back and change that. Well, Superman is presented with that choice here. And the synopsis kind of implies that he does not make the right one, at least not at first. So let's just let's get into this and see where this takes us, shall we? Superman is in the supermobile trying to pull a ship out of a black hole and... Apparently, this ship was being helpful by trying to dump kryptonite into the black hole to uh, get rid of it. You know, light cannot escape from from a black hole, so or any other object. So maybe that's the uh, best place to dump the kryptonite so that it can no longer be a bother to Superman. But Superman's in some serious trouble as he gets pulled into the black hole along with all that kryptonite. And then we see an explosion, but all we see after that is the supermobile crossing the black holes of End Horizon and into wherever he's going. And Superman has been sent back through time to before Krypton explodes. And obviously Superman will give us here the necessary exposition about what happens to his powers under a red sun. There was a previous episode in which Superman became kind of sickly under the red sun with that when the Earth's sun was changed to red. This time, it functions more the way it should. Superman is absolutely fine and just powerless. So he says it's about an hour before the planet explodes, and here is Jor-El giving the Council the briefing on the impending explosion of Krypton. I like the look here of Jor-El, very silver agey with his green suit and uh, his yellow sun crest on his chest. His, uh, he's wearing a cape here, which I don't believe he wore in the comics. My uh, Silver Age uh, comic reading buddies can uh, fill me in on whether he wore a cape in the comics. I, I remember the jumpsuit, but not the cape. But this council scene is basically a repeat of what we've seen before in uh, the Kirk Allen serials and the Adventures of Superman. Jor-El presents his findings to the council, and he is pretty much laughed out of the uh, out of the room. But in hilarious fashion here, Superman interrupts the council meeting trying to uh, back up Jor-El's data. And Jarl is confused by the feeling that he seems to know Superman. I mean, little does he know that this is his son fully grown. And uh, then we go back to Jarl's quarters, and Jarl is sending Kal-El into space. And here we are. Superman is, has decided to change the past by stopping the sun from expanding. And he's definitely not thinking about what this will do to his own existence. I mean, it's pretty clear that if Krypton does not explode, his ship doesn't get sent to Earth. And he lives out his days on Krypton, never becoming Superman. Just uh, a fun note, for some reason, he's calling the Supermobile the Supermobile. I don't know why, but why they've changed that pronunciation, or maybe if it's just something Danny Dark did in recording and nobody cared to correct him or cared to go back and have him re-record the lines. But I definitely pronounce it a Supermobile, they're not Supermobile. It is not a, a gas station. So Superman is going back to the present, and he finds a wrecked hall of justice, and he's still not putting the pieces together. Robin is the last remaining hero. How that happened, I will never understand, but here the clues are in the fall, fall into place. Robin doesn't know who Superman is, and without Superman, the Legion of Doom has overrun the Super Friends and the Earth. And that's when Superman the Dumbass realizes that by saving Krypton, his father would have no reason to send him to Earth, and therefore... There is no Superman to stand with the Super Friends against the Legion of Doom. And this is the first time that's crossing his mind. Never while he was making the decision to save Krypton, while, which is noble, he is not taking into account the effect it would have on his life and the lives of all the people on Earth. So he goes back to the past and he uh, grabs the device he used to uh, keep the sun from expanding. And he decides to torture himself by watching himself get launched into space. And then... He goes back into the present with the spaceships that were collecting the kryptonite. While quite a bit of time passed for Superman in true uh, time travel fashion, only a few seconds passed for the rest of the super friends and the aliens on the spaceship. But, you know, finally, an episode that had to meet on its bone. You know, like I said before, I can only speak for myself, but we all have those moments that we wish we could go back and change either. Go back in time and change them ourselves or tell our younger selves uh, what's about to happen. But 
Obviously, in our real lives, we don't get those opportunities. Superman got that opportunity in this episode, and he took it without considering the consequences of that action. Every experience we have in our lives make us who we are. If you change even the slightest thing, or in this case, a big thing in your life, there's a ripple effect, and that little one action has either one large consequence or a bunch of little consequences that will fundamentally change who who you are. Changing the fate of a planet is a huge deal, and it's a huge part of Superman's life. But even like what you might think are the most minute details of your life, that could lead to other little ripples, and that could change the person you are for good or for bad. And we saw in this episode, wow, you would think that being saved from explosion was a good fate for Krypton, it had an equally negative fate for Earth. And we really don't see what happened with Krypton in the new timeline. You know, fate could have come around and destroyed the planet again by in some fashion. No way to know. But yeah, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Superman made the wrong decision here. And I guess in a, in a moment that emotional, it's hard to see all of the uh, possibilities. But as far as the effect no Superman had, while I don't like seeing the Hall of Justice in ruins, I did like the importance shown on Superman that without him, the Super Friends are not exactly up to snuff. It underscores Superman's importance to the group and the DC Universe as a whole. So, that was a great seven-minute story. One of the best all around of the show, and really a great Superman story. And this was a Superman story. There was very little participation from any other members of the Super Friends. You know, Robin showed up, Wonder Woman was there for a minute. But overall, this was a very Superman-driven story. And in a show that seems to focus on a lot of the other characters more, it's good to see Superman getting his due. So, well done, Super Friends. Well done. So let's move on to Invasion of the Space Doll and our synopsis. A group of space dolls takes over a toy plant and gets sold around the world as toys. The dolls start taking over by enslaving the mind of government and military leaders. When the Wonder Twins learn the weakness... All continents are secure, doll meter. Excellent. The Earth is ours. Contact the home planet and tell them we have Your batteries are running low, doll leader. Thank you. I am fine now, but we must make sure we have enough batteries to power all space dolls. Go to the Metropolis battery plant and bring all power cells back here. Yes, Star Leader. Those sneaky space dolls will run forever with all the batteries they're about to get. Not if we can help it. Come on, Sam. We've got to get to that plant before those space dolls. They and the, and the dynamic duo stop the invasion force. Nice work, Wonder Twins. Now we can safely ship these space dolls back to their home planet. And we'll make sure their new batteries are low voltage. I think all this space doll stuff has gone to Gleek's head. Yeah, it's a shame we can't shut him off by taking out his batteries. All right, we went from a good episode to this. Your usual Wonder Twins fair. So... Here we've got some kind of robots sending an army of red robots to infiltrate Earth. I thought they were robots at first, but apparently they're toys. They uh, are going to invade the Gotham Toy Company. And when you don't see them kind of to scale up against anything else, you don't realize that they're really minuscule, about the size of maybe, you know, six to ten inch action figures. So apparently these uh, little toys are selling like hotcakes and they're spreading all over the world like crazy. And they spread awful quickly. And here we're having a... uh, Surprise birthday party for Gleek. He's six years old. I don't know how long monkeys live on average, but he is an Exorian monkey, so I guess the lifespan of Earth monkeys would not matter in the uh, slightest. And he uh, stuck his face in the cake and got a space doll for his birthday. And of course, uh, Gleek got the leader, and of course, this particular action figure is kicking the crap out of Earth's greatest heroes. How, you know, and it's mind-boggling. How did we go from the Krypton episode 
to this. You know, Jaina, you know, becomes the king crab and Zan an ice vault and they close the door inside of him and the doll melts Zan. I'm not sure what he would have done if the doll stayed in there. He can't remain as an ice vault forever, but, you know, we don't need to answer that question. So did the leader plan to get bought by Gleek or as a present for Gleek? And, you know, can he predict that or is it just a matter of luck? So anyway... These toys are taking over the minds of military and government officials. And these toys are bad news. Worse than TV. They'll rot your brain. So a bunch of toys took over the world. Yeah, you read that correctly. And then we learn their Achilles heel. They run on batteries. If they don't change their Duracells or Energizers fast enough, or your Rayovac nowadays, this invasion will end quickly. So the twins go to the factory to stop the dolls. And I can't believe I just said that. In the same sentence. Apparently there is a doll emperor and here come the twins to save the day. Jaina is now a bat and Xan is a winter storm. Toys foiled by snowstorm. News at 11. So their plan is to make them run out their batteries while Gleek saves the real heroes. And they're not very good batteries. They're almost run out. Must have gotten uh, them at the five and dime or uh, a nag is nowadays to be the dollar store. You know, those, those batteries don't last. And so with the dolls depowered, Batman is going to ship them back to their home planet. Does UPS handle that? Or do we have to go to FedEx? I'm sure the Postal Service doesn't do this. And is DHL still a thing? I don't know. Most of my shipping is handled, or receiving for that matter, is handled by either the Post Office, UPS, or FedEx. And I have not tried to mail something out of the solar system. So I don't know which one of those services I would use. Maybe NASA has a delivery service. Maybe I should look into that. So that one was pretty dumb. A huge step down from... What came before it? So, let's move right along to Terror on the Titanic. And our synopsis is as follows. Aquaman and Black Vulcan go to save two French divers from a monster on the sunken Titanic. Super friends, our divers are stranded inside the sunken Titanic. Only you can save them before their air runs out. We'll be there as soon as we can. The next bolt of lightning you see will be Black Vulcan. But the heroes get more than they bargained for. The divers are possessed by a kind of thinking algae, and the Titanic itself is alive. The divers are rescued. What happened? Whatever's possessing the Titanic had you two under its spell. Thank you for saving my men and my sheep. No problem. We'll have a salvage vessel sent right out. But first, we've got to find the Titanic before it finds anyone else. Yet, the Titanic moves under its own power toward Cape Race, Newfoundland. The heroes take the monster ship back out to sea, where it crashes into an iceberg and sinks again. Nice work, Black Vulcan! I don't think that ship will be bothering anyone anymore. Isn't it strange, Aquaman, to think the Titanic was sunk in the same spot 70 years ago, and by an iceberg, too? Who said lightning never strikes twice in the same spot? Here we go. We have some divers looking for the Titanic, and just when one of the divers say they should have given up years ago, there it is. And that is a nice animation of the shipwreck. In this animation, the ship is all, you know, despite the rust and the wear shown on the ship in the animation, the ship is, for the most part, whole. It did break in half before it sunk. As I recall from just what I've seen, I remember I had to do a senior year project on the Titanic. <clears throat> and then we saw the movie, which the James Cameron film, because it was right around the same time. And despite its foibles, I mean, I could really care less about the Jack and Rose story. But at one point, the ship went vertical. And then the back half, I believe the naval term is the stern, kind of broke in half and then fell into fell into the ocean. However, at the time of the production of this episode, the wreck of Titanic had not been found yet. That happened in 1985 when the site was discovered by a joint 
French-American expedition led by Jean-Louis Michel of Ephremer, I-F-R-E-M-E-R, and Robert Ballard of the Woods Hole Oceanographic Institution, and the first expeditions to the wreck site began in 1986. These episodes were produced at least three years before that, and that's when it was discovered that the ship split in two, and as of when this episode was produced, theories were that the ship sank in one piece. And just from some of the research I was able to do in preparing my notes, the front of the ship is mostly intact on the seafloor, but the back half is gone. And some of the pictures are quite fascinating. I'm not sure I would ever visit one, but I do enjoy looking at pictures of old shipwrecks or abandoned buildings and stuff like that. Well, either way, these guys find the Titanic and they find some kind of sea monster under there and it's goopy and attacks the divers. And of course, they call the super friends. No one else can handle this, but just the super friends. But I guess, who would you call if you're attacked by a sea monster? I'm not sure the Coast Guard is up to this particular challenge. And I can understand Aquaman trying to help, but I'm not sure what Black Vulcan is going to do. Maybe electrocute it or something. So there's Aquaman on a, on a seahorse, which is awesome. Uh, I cannot get my get enough of Aquaman riding a giant seahorse. And there's some kind of wire on the front of the ship. Or looks like are they going to raise it? I mean, nowadays that's a big no-no. There was talk after discovering Titanic about raising it, but apparently it's protected now and will remain on the uh, seafloor until the end of time. Apparently there is no, uh, I guess there's no reason to raise the ship. So Aquaman is fighting an algae creature, and uh, Black Vulcan finds the divers have been taken over. They're basically assimilated into the, by this algae creature. Now Black Vulcan shoots some lightning, and apparently the Titanic is alive, because of course it is. And Aquaman and Black Vulcan are vented through the wrecked smokestacks. Like its sister ships, Titanic had, uh, I think it was four smokestacks kind of sticking at the top where the exhaust was blown. And now up comes the zombie ship, and I guess after all those years on the seafloor, the Titanic is pissed. So Aquaman points out that the Titanic is leaving under its own power. You know, good to see that he noticed. So now Black Vulcan and Aquaman are fighting the uh, converted divers, and this ship that the divers came from is sinking, and uh, Black Vulcan just kind of mends it with, with his electricity. So Aquaman points out that whatever has animated Titanic has affected them. By them, he's referring to the divers. And now the ship is eating up here in Newfoundland, because I guess it's hungry. And... When you look at that, at, at the ship as it's moving, it looks more like a shark than a shipwreck. And there was that movie, uh, which I know nothing about, that I've never seen, called Raise the Titanic. I don't think this is what they had in mind. So Black Vulcan talks some smack to the uh, zombie ocean liner, and it's, it's chasing him, and they run, and he basically runs it into an iceberg, and poor Titanic sinks again. Believe it or not, right into the same spot that it was before. <laughs> I guess even in animation, when you're... Uh, finding a real sunken ship you have to put it back where you found it you can't raise the titanic on a super friends episode apparently especially in a time where nobody actually knows where it is so beautiful i don't know what to make of that because of that senior year project well it actually was junior year because of that project in school uh i've always had a little bit of a fascination uh with uh, the titanic and there was still some mystery at the time as this was made as to uh, the, the specifics of the sinking and uh some of those answers would come to light after the wreck was discovered in 1985 and 86. Now just, but it just feels weird using a shipwreck as the zombie ship. It didn't need to be, and for whom does the does it being the Titanic matter to? I'm not sure the zombie ship being dubbed the Titanic makes this a better episode, but I guess if it educates kids on what happened to RMS Titanic in April of 1912, it's worth it. I don't know. I really don't have an answer, but it was a fun episode. So that's, I guess in a cartoon, that's all I'm asking for. Give me some fun and entertain me. So with that being said, take a, another break, play another promo, and then I'll come back with week four of the Lost Season of Super Friends. Hang around, folks. I'm Thomas DJ, top professional. I'm Scott McGregor, talented amateur. And we'd like to invite you to join us for our journey through every adventure of the Avengers. No, not that Avengers. You won't find any tights, magic hammers, or fancy shields here. 
We'll find some supervillains and some hot women in tight leather, so there is that. And champagne. Oh, yeah, lots of champagne. With Umbrella Charm and Bowler, that other Avengers podcast, covering the seminal spy series that lasted from 1961 to 1969 on an episode-by-episode basis. Join us as we explore the television series that helped shape pop culture and made an icon out of Diana Rigg, Honor Blackman, and Patrick D. With Umbrella Charm and Bowler. That other Avengers podcast coming straight towards you every month. Only on the Two True Freaks Podcast Network. All right, welcome back, folks. All the episodes in this segment, an original broadcast date of October 1st, 1983. And we're going to start with The Revenge of Doom. And all of our synopses are brought to you by supermanhomepage.com, your number one source for Superman information on the web. When a construction crew recovers the Hall of Doom, Batman and Robin wonder how the workers obtain top-secret information. Batman! Robin! What are you doing here? We were just about to ask you the same question. Didn't you read the signs? This is a restricted area. We've got a permit from the Department of Parks. Gotta turn the Hall of Doom into a museum. This looks in order. It's too bad the Super Friends removed the ion engines, or we'd have the world's first flying museum. How did you know we removed the engines? That was a top-secret operation. Why, uh, it was uh, leaked to the news, wasn't it? No, it wasn't. We're going to have to take you in for questioning. That's what you think, bat fool. Hang on, Batman. I'll be there in a... Hey, let me go. Well, Batman, I think my little project may start on time after all. I should have realized it immediately. There's only one criminal who'd bother salvaging the Hall of Doom. That's right, Batman. Lex Luthor! And you must be... Solomon Grundy! And don't forget... Yours evilly sinistro! No sense in introductions. I'm sure the dynamic duo will never forget the Legion of Doom. Secure the prisoners. We've got work to do. Then they go to the Hall of Justice to take over and turn Superman and Wonder Woman into Crystal. Luthor and company start a crime wave, but the heroes manage to escape and stop the Legion before robbing Fort Knox. Luthor's Legion has lost again. The Legion of Doom will never win, as long as the Super Friends are fighting for justice. Do I make myself clear, Luthor? Crystal clear, Superman. Crystal clear. All right, so we have some workers on the Hall of Doom, and one of them looks as though he's wearing a Black Manta helmet. I Black Manta really plays no role in this episode, but that one worker does look like he's wearing the Black Manta helmet, so that's probably not a good sign. And apparently they're trying to tow the Hall of Doom away. This is uh, some time after Challenge of the Super Friends, obviously. The Hall of Doom is abandoned. After the Challenge of the Super Friends season, the Legion went to jail, and we saw kind of a smattering of some of the uh, Legion of Doom villains throughout the early part of this season. But this is the first time we're going to see them all together. And this worker that Batman is talking to was Lex Luthor, and with him is the entire Legion of Doom. So apparently they're trying to tow the Hall of Doom away, and for some reason they want to turn the Hall of Doom into a museum. But, you know, something fishy is going on here, as the worker can't explain how he knows about the Hall of Doom. Then their plan is to rebuild the Hall of Doom, and we're going to get our first uh, meeting in a long time. The one good funny thing about the uh, 22-minute Legion Challenge of the Super Friends episodes featuring the Legion of Doom is that we got a good look at their uh, monthly meetings. And they were fun to watch. No such luck here. As they kind of just, as Luthor kind of just announces their plans and the story moves forward. No time for the bickering that we were treated to during uh, season three. So 
Even regardless, it's good to see them again. And they're right back at it. The Legion of Doom is claiming to is claiming Metropolis in its own name. And here comes Superman after the Hall of Doom, and the police send an, a helicopter that is quickly shot down. Now Superman saves the helicopter, and then he starts punching at the Hall of Doom. I'm not sure what his plan is other than punching, but Lex Luthor has some kind of weapon that freezes Superman and crystallizes. And then here comes Wonder Woman with her roping skills. You know, she's either going to uh, perform in a rodeo or take down the Hall of Doom. I am not sure which one yet. But Sinestro quickly takes her out of play with a pair of uh, yellow pliers. So that pretty much takes care of everyone. Batman and Robin were taking care of at the construction site. Wonder Woman and Superman were taking care of here. And as far as Aquaman goes, apparently nobody cares. So now we've got a threat from the Legion to uh, withdraw some gold from Fort Knox. About $10 billion worth. And uh, they're gloating about having all of the uh, super friends. The super friends are gone, Mr. President. The Legion of Doom is here to stay. First, we'll be paying a visit to Fort Knox to make a small gold withdrawal, about $10 billion worth. <laughs> Just these four heroes are the entire Super Friends roster? Where is the expanded roster? And where's Aquaman, who's been there from the beginning? I mean, I could care less about the Wonder Twins, uh, Apache Chief, Black Vulcan, and Samurai, but where's the Flash? Where's Green Lantern? What? Where's Hawkman? Come on. Where is everybody? Out to lunch? So while trapped up on the uh, Hall of Doom, Superman uses his heat vision to make them mobile. They may still be crystallized, but they can move at least. And But they still need an antidote to the crystal form because they're running a little heavy, which makes it hard for them to uh, control themselves. So this is kind of interesting as Superman and Wonder Woman kind of show up at Fort Knox in their crystalline form. And the uh, crystal is slowing them down enough that it basically renders Superman and Wonder Woman ineffective. Meanwhile, Batman is doing some work uh, to uh, reverse Luthor's uh, ray, the one that turned uh, Wonder Woman and Superman into crystal uh, people. And as this is only a seven-minute story, this plot really has to move. And that's probably why we only see four super friends, because there's just not enough time for everybody to get their due. Interesting that they left out Aquaman, but I would really prefer to at least see the five who have been here from the beginning. I could care less if you showed me the twins and uh, Gleek, but... And as much as I'd like to see at least Flash and Green Lantern as their uh, solid members of the Justice League, at the very least, show me the original five that started in 1973. Superman, Batman and Robin, Wonder Woman and Aquaman. But they don't. Eventually, Batman uncrystallizes Superman and Wonder Woman. And then they basically start kicking some Legion of Doom butt. And the Legion's quickly rounded up and everybody is in jail. So for as much trouble as the Legion of Doom caused all of the super friends throughout season three. They are rounded up pretty quickly here. But still, like I said, it's good to see them again. But seven minutes just doesn't make a satisfying Legion of Doom story. With that being said, limiting this story to seven minutes eliminates a lot of nonsense. Even if a lot of that nonsense is entertaining. There is no bickering between the Legion of Doom here. As there would be in a normal 22 minute episode. So a lot of what made those episodes fun is missing. In this case, the story just kind of moves like a runaway freight train from... From zero to seven minutes, with really no uh, no detours for hijinks. But still, it was a good episode. Not as satisfying as I would have liked, but I was entertained. Yeah. Alright, so let's move on to A Pint of Life. And our synopsis is as follows. The young boy in the hospital needs a blood transfusion, and only his father can provide the blood. We've got to get him into surgery immediately. It's no use. We can't operate. The boy needs a transfusion, but according to his history, his body will reject normal blood types. These records indicate that the only one with compatible blood is the boy's father. Aquaman finds Dr. Marks, an archaeologist, in the Amazon River. Dr. Marks, I thought I might not find you in time. What is it? 
Your son has had an accident. We've got to get you back to the States to give him a transfusion. Hurry! My boat is this way! But when they try to leave the ancient temple, they are captured by a tribe. After Aquaman commands the Piranha to help them escape, the Wonder Twins further the effort. Dr. Marks reaches his son in time, and the teenager recovers. My son is going to be just fine. Thanks again, super friends. Anytime, Dr. Marks. There's nothing we like better than helping a friend in need. Unfortunately, there's nothing Gleek likes better than goofing off. Isn't that right, Gleek? Well, here's Aquaman. Maybe uh, I could headcanon it saying that Aquaman was here dealing with this at the time of the Legion of Doom attack and uh, he was unavailable to help uh, with the Legion of Doom. I don't know. But anyway, here's a story that at least appears that it's going to tug at the heartstrings a little bit as a young boy needs uh, surgery and he's stuck on the operating table and only his father can give him a blood transfusion because uh, he has a very rare blood type. I'm guessing uh, the boy has an AB negative blood type that is the rarest blood type out there, 0.7% of the population or roughly 1 in 167 people have an AB negative blood type. So I guess it makes sense that only a relative or his father would have a similar blood type. But for that reason, whatever blood type it is, it's rare and only his father can give him the blood transfusion that he needs. Dennis Marks is a 12-year-old, and you can read his vital situation on the clipboard on the screen. Uh, if you have the DC app, you probably just pause it and read all the information you want. I didn't. So, of course, the uh, hospital called the Wonder Twins. I guess that's what you did before cell phones. And we find out that the archaeologist is in the Amazon, where Hackerman just happens to be helping to fix a boat. So, apparently, Zan is going to transport them to the Amazon in the tropics via an ice missile. I hope he doesn't melt before he gets there. Aquaman takes a moment to inform the viewer that finding Dr. Marks won't be easy, but at the same time, it has to happen quickly because this episode is only seven minutes. So Aquaman is caught by a python, and he's going to show that it's not easy right away because he can't escape from it with his telepathic abilities because a python isn't sea life. However, Aquaman calls an alligator, and it takes a bite out of the snake, which tries to squeeze the gator, so... It's kind of funny, the gator is trying to eat the snake while the snake is squeezing the gator. They are pretty much at a stalemate, and I'm pretty sure that's the last we see of them. Meanwhile, we find Jonas Marks finding some kind of ancient temple. This is a very Indiana Jones type of feel here, which suits me. I enjoy films and games about archaeology and treasure hunting. I love the Indiana Jones movies, if you, even in the fourth one, if you take away some of the ridiculousness at the end. And, you know, Shia LaBeouf. You know, Harrison Ford stuff in uh, Indiana Jones and the Crystal Skull is fine. I'm not sure exactly what people expected when they went into that movie. I mean, it had all the tropes of an Indiana Jones movie, just a little bit. Some things were ridiculous, but when you really take off the rose-colored glasses, a lot of things in Indiana Jones movies are ridiculous. But that's neither here nor there. And uh, the recent Naughty Dog Uncharted video game series is a huge favorite of mine. Kind of bummed now that it's run its course, and currently I'm working my way through the uh, PS4 Spider-Man game. But anyway, back to this show. No one is surprised when Aquaman shows up in the temple out of the water, because why would they be? And of course, they trip a trap, and they're sealed in the temple. So, our party is captured by the natives, and apparently Aquaman is concerned about Piranha, because they're tied up and kind of dropped into uh, the water with, with a wooden trap door placed over them. And he's concerned about being able to talk to the Piranha, because apparently he has trouble talking to wild fish. What exactly are wild fish? I mean, fish are wildlife. They're not exactly domesticated pets, so I don't understand why he'd have trouble talking to wild piranha. Everything he talks to is wild to one extent or another. If you take the wild definition as basically something that has not been domesticated by humans, I mean, they're just piranha in their natural habitat. Why would he have 
what trouble talking to that than, say, an octopus or something like that. So he gets through to them, and he gets the piranha to eat through the trap door, and that frees them. And now the Wonder Twins have showed up, and they're taking care of the natives. And, you know, and I notice in the animation that they're suddenly taking their gloves off to transform. I guess their gloves no longer conduct exor power like they used to, or suddenly in the sixth season that the Wonder Twins are appearing in, they showed up in the second season, the, the all-new Super Friends Hour. Someone realized that having them wear gloves during their fist bump makes no sense. It doesn't make any sense for Gleek's nose to conduct exor power either, but I'm not going to go there. So Dr. Marks gets home, and his son is going to be okay. He gives him the transfusion, and now Gleek is checking his own heart, and Jaina yells into the uh, stethoscope and scares Gleek out of his skin. Not nice, Jaina. So, I guess that episode didn't pull out the harsh strings like I thought it would, but it was still high on adventure, even if the drama didn't deliver. And I guess what this episode tells kids is that their parents will drop everything when their children are in need, you know. That's true of most parents, if only it were true of all of them. You know, another solid episode, you know. You know, I enjoyed it as much as you can enjoy a seven-minute Super Friends episode that really has no substance. Let's finish this off with Day of the Dinosaurs. And our synopsis is as follows. Wonder Woman and Samurai take a wild ride when the Hall of Justice falls into a lower world filled with dinosaurs. They battle with a group of primitive people, but are saved by someone from an advanced race. It's amazing! Who would have thought a world such as this could have existed under the Earth? We have been here for over a million years, Wonder Woman. For centuries, we have monitored your race and the world above. But why have you never contacted us? Because our world has existed in perfect harmony. There was no reason to contact you. But what about that race of cavemen? Why haven't they advanced? You speak of the Slarums. They are barbarians. Our race broke off with them a half million years ago. We built our force field to keep them out of our city. But with your technology, you could help educate them, allow them to survive. I'm afraid I was right. You surface dwellers are descendants of the Slarum race and just as dangerous. Now you will be a threat to no one. However, upon learning that the primitive race has lost its food supply due to the futuristic race's force field, the heroes get them to live together peacefully. The strangers from above lead the Slarums. They'll destroy us. No, Technos, we come in peace. The Slarums aren't dangerous. They only attacked you because you deprived them of their farmland. Forgive us. With all our wisdom, we have been very ignorant. The surface dwellers were right. We can all live better if we live together in peace. Okay, so the Hall of Justice is going to take a dive into the ground, into the to the center of the earth, or to the land that time forgot, or something. So one woman and samurai in the hall just kind of watching the floor separate, and they are just standing there, and the whole Hall of Justice, you know, like the synopsis said, sinks into the ground. And we had, since we had just seen the hall sink in the previous shot, I am glad we have samurai here to tell us that it's sinking. Because the animation was completely unclear. And by completely, I mean it wasn't at all. So, down it goes. And they should really take that up with geologists or something. That the bedrock underneath the Hall of Justice should really be a little more firm than that. But that's something for our, that will not be covered another day. So now we're on the ground with prehistoric plants and dinosaurs. So it's another journey to the center of the earth type of story. At least that's what it looks like at the beginning. And we've seen this type of thing before on this show. And I guess when you get to... Season 7, you start repeating yourself a little bit, especially with the volume of stories uh, 
this show is produced. I mean, just think of how many times we've seen Mr. Mix as Piddle to make a movie. So, they run afoul of a T-Rex, and now there's a Triceratops after them, and uh, it, they escape from that, too. And we've got superheroes fighting uh, dinosaurs, and now we run into some ancient people. I don't know what this guy is. Uh, at first, I thought maybe he was a Cro-Magnum man or something, but more on him later. A samurai sets them off with a wind, and then there's some kind of portal in this magical creature. At least he appears to be magical. Just kind of appears out of nowhere and he's a wizard he his name is technos and he watched them fall into the prehistoric world and couldn't stop them and instead of just sending them home as i thought he had the ability to do he gives them the guided tour so now they go to the city of the volti it's over a million years old and like every underground civilization they have achieved harmony and there is no reason to contact the surface world however this uh, dome keeps out the barbarian slarum or at the very least, uh, the Volti call them barbarians. You know, there's a typical science fiction thing with a race that deems itself superior to another, keeps all of the benefits of society to themselves, and kind of excludes the uh, those that they consider inferior from high society. Reminds me of the uh, Star Trek episode, The Cloudminders. Not a favorite episode of mine, but typical of what you saw in the third season of Star Trek. So, Wonder Woman and Samurai are captured, but quickly escape. Now, Wonder Woman teaches the kids that her golden lasso is a good conductor of electricity, and that gets them out of the force field and back to the Hall of Justice. And that's where the Slarums find them. And they're going to talk their way out of it, and we learn that the Slarums are not are not the barbarians the Volti led us to believe, and they're starving due to the actions of the Volti, so... Looks like we've got company again. Wait! We don't want to harm you! Volti, never speak to Vaga before. We are not Volti! We come from above! We are friends! Volti, not friends. Volti Sundome, cover our fields and grazing land. Slarum go hungry. Technos was wrong. They are not barbarians after all. The Sundome is gone, and I think it's time we all paid the Volti a little visit. Apparently, just from watching this, we tell the super friends are going to talk this problem out, which is really the best way to solve any problem. And one of the things that the parents groups that were kind of in control of cartoons at the time is that they tried to clamp down on violence, so the superheroes really couldn't punch their way out of problems. Maybe some judo kicks, but you know nothing overtly violent. So, but here talking is what's needed, not punches. And the technos are and the Volti are afraid of the slimes for some reason, and it doesn't take much. Just kind of one sentence from Wonder Woman, and it's all straightened out. Technos realizes they are fools, and now there's a new peace between the Volti and the Slarums. That's not how it usually works. In a longer episode, there would have been some pushback from the Volti and some distrust, some distrust between the two races, but this is only a seven-minute story, so it's all very abbreviated. And I guess you don't want to bore the kids with a long talky scene, nor do you want them to think solving your problem vocally is difficult, but golly gee whiz, that was fast. And if I were to have one criticism of this episode... It's the title. Day of the Dinosaurs doesn't really give you a good indication of the episode, as dinosaurs only appear for about 15 to 30 seconds out of 7 minutes. But, you know, another decent episode. You know, when I was covering 1980 and 1981, it was almost a chore to sit down and watch and take notes on some of these episodes. I'm finding in this season, not the case. I'm actually in, I'm enjoying these episodes more than I have since World's Greatest Super Friends, since we had 20-minute episodes. But And it's a pity that... These didn't air in the U.S. until much later. They are, a lot of these episodes are really quite good, and hopefully the remainder of the season will be more like this, and less like what the um, 1980 and 1981 seasons were. But judging on what I've seen so far in this season 7, I'm hopeful. So, we're going to find out as next time I cover weeks 5 and 6 of The Lost Season. If you want to send feedback, it's always welcome. Manascreen at gmail.com. 
If you want to join the conversation over the Facebook group, just put Man of Screen Podcast in your search feed and the show should come up. You can also find the show on Twitter at Man of Screencast. So until next time, folks, we're all on the same team. Good night. The Man of Screen Podcast is produced by Mike Zumo, and all opinions expressed on the show are those of Mike Zumo and his guests and no one else. All music and sound clips used on the show are for review purposes only, and no copyright infringement is intended. All music and sound clips are copyright their original copyright owners. The Man of Screen is a member of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network and can be found at www.twotruefreaks.com. Email to this show can be sent to manofscreen at gmail.com. And you can also leave the show a review on iTunes. That will help others find the show. Thank you for listening to the Man of Screen Podcast.